0: First Timothy four. Uh, Before we get started, uh, I got another little thank you here. I want to read this uh, from Stacy. Uh, Stacy, who headed up the garage sale giveaway, and she just wanted to specifically say thank you. Everybody, the donated items, uh, their food, their time, their prayers, uh, the meal went really well. Uh, the cleanup crew, uh, she said it was the best cleanup crew that she ever had. Everyone who's helped set up and get things organized. There was people that came out here just on their own free will and just helped organize stuff. Uh, big thanks to uh, Rich for cleaning up the floor afterwards. Big thanks to Jason for the trailer and also taking all the extra items over to Goodwill as well. So it went really well and uh, neat outreach, real neat outreach there. So First Timothy chapter 4. Um, I was telling the uh, 830 service before we got started that um, – I'm really excited about this message. really like this one. And I know I say that every message, but sometimes I'm lying. This one I'm really excited about. Now, God's Word is always good. This is one that I liked. This is one I liked. Now, this is generally what happens. When I have one that I really like, that's when, like, half the church shows up and no one ever gets anything out of it. So I don't know what's going to happen, but I am thankful that you're here. And I really like this one. I like what God has to say in this message today. And I hope it blesses you as much as it blessed me as just going through this. What we're going to do is we're going to finish up chapter 4 today in First Timothy. We're going to do verses 6 through 16. I'm going to read all of it. And we're going to come back and break it up. It says, verse 6, it says, If you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. But reject profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourself towards godliness. For bodily exercise profits a little, But godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. For to this end we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. These things command and teach. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word and conduct and love and spirit and faith and purity. So I come give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on the hands of the eldership meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Let's pray real quick. Lord, as we come to you now, um, prepare our hearts for what you have to say. excited about this we're excited about communion and lord we just pray for these next few minutes just be with us in all ways and all things you teach and we listen in your name amen key verses of today is actually found in verses 15 and 16 meditate on these things give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all take heed to yourself and to the doctrine continue in them okay quick question to ask yourself compare yourself now where you're at with your walk with the lord to where you were two three years ago have you progressed have you continued in the faith? Are you a deeper, stronger Christian than you are now than what you were, say, a few years ago? Because isn't that the whole point? That's what these passages are trying to tell us right here. Verse 15, that your progress may be evident to all. Think about somebody that knows you real well spiritually, knows you well, and knows well enough to be honest with you, not just give you the answer that you want to hear. If you'd go up to them and say, hey, you've known me for years. Do you think I'm a stronger believer now? what I was a few years ago is there progress in your Christian walk see here's a phrase I like to use a lot I think what we have a lot is comfortable Christianity things are comfortable The marriage is going well the kids are doing well the jobs going well life's going well health is going well I'm very comfortable in my walk with the Lord now there should be a sense of comfort in your walk with the Lord he died on the cross for your sins he's given you salvation Hopefully you can rest in that salvation to know that I am saved and I am Christ. What a beautiful comfort that is. When I'm talking about uncomfortable Christianity is, yeah, I'm saved, and I'm not doing anything about it. Those words really hit me. Progress, continue. That's something that Paul is really trying to tell Timothy is that there should be this constant growth in your walk and relationship with the Lord. Paul talks about this a lot in Philippians 1.25. He says, your progress he talks about that. In Colossians one twenty three, he talks about continuing in the faith. That's something that should be constantly happening is going deeper in the Lord. problem is we get a lot of Christians that become stagnant. They become content. There's no excitement. There's no deep desire to see people change. There's no deep desire to see their workplace and their lives go deeper. They're just comfort, comfortable. God says, oh, that's a dangerous place to be. Turn if you go to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. There should be a constant growth and progress in our walk with the Lord. My boys are always very excited because they keep getting taller and growing. And so we have these little hash marks, if you will, in our um, one closet. And they're just excited. They like to go measure themselves and see how much taller they got. So it was back in February, I believe, uh, the boys wanted to measure themselves. We hadn't done that in a while. So we went in and marked everybody's height, and they were excited to see. Well, Elias turned six in March. So, his birthday came up, and what he wanted, the things he wanted to do on his birthday, was go measure himself. I said, Elias, we just measured you, man, like, you know, three weeks ago. Well, he was six. There should be progress. He just thought he turned six. All of a sudden, he's taller. That's the way they kind of think. You know, at six, you start wearing size six clothes or whatever. He went in and he measured himself, and he wasn't any taller than he was just a few weeks ago, and he's really disappointed. He wanted that progress. The boys are excited. Judah was excited when he started wearing 4T clothes 4T, not 3T. Progress. See, the problem is as we become older and adults and we don't grow anymore, or I shouldn't say we don't get any taller, um, we're not as excited about growth. See, spiritually speaking, Christ says there's supposed to be progress. See, in Matthew 13, there's this great parable, of the sower and the seeds. We've talked about this parable a lot. Look at Matthew 13, start around in verse 4. Seed represents the gospel going out. Well, in verse 4, some fell on the wayside. Nothing happens. The birds ate it up. First 5, some fell on the stony places, grow up quickly, but there's no root. That's somebody that's excited about the Lord, but they really don't have a foundation in them. There's no foundation at all. Next one, they kind of grow up a little bit, verses 6 and 7, but the thorns and the weeds of the world choke them. The lust, the desires, the greed, the world just gets them, and they don't grow. Lastly, you have a group in verse 8, but others fell on a good ground. Yielded a crop, some 100, some 60, some See, now listen, the best commentary on the Bible is the commentary. So what you have in verses 18 through 23 is Christ explains all that, about how only one group really got it and grew. Look at verse 23. He who received the seed on the good ground is he who hears the word, understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some 100, some 60, some 30. See, all of you are going to produce a different crop, some 30, some 60, some 100. problem is some of us produce 30, and we're content with that. 30! That ain't bad. You know, here in a couple of weeks, farmers are going to be taking the wheat off. This fall, they're going to be taking the beans and corns off. And what's the conversation going to be? How many bushels per acre did you get? Because that's all we want. We want more bushels per acre. Well, God wants more in you. You're a field. He's planted in you. He's invested in you. He wants a big crop. He, he's, you got 30. Well, he wants 60. He wants to see more. The problem is, we're pretty content with 30. Do you realize the jump from 30 to 60, gosh, that means I need to do more weeding, more fertilizing, more working. It's just easier to stay at 30. God says, I want more. Progress, continuing. Problem is, as Christians, we become comfortable, we become content, and we just sit there. Everything's okay. God says, progress, continue. How do we do that? Well, look at verse 23. He who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word, understands it, and indeed bears fruit. How simple is the purpose of church? You come to hear the word, understand it, and go bear fruit. That's why you're here today, to hear, to understand, and bear fruit. This is what we've been talking a lot about in the book of 1 Timothy, these pillars that God has given the church, that there should be a time of service, a time of fellowship, a time of prayer, a time of worship, and a time of being in evangelism, being in the Word. Those are the things that God asks of us. Well, the key thing is being in the Word on Sunday mornings. The reason we are here is to instruct you and to grow you, and we're going to get to that in a little bit. And so that's why we take time to preach the word, hopefully you understand it, and then you go out and bear fruit. See, if you go ask the typical Christian, why are you here? And I don't mean here at church. Why are you here in this world? I don't know if they have the answer. The answer is so you can go bear fruit. The purpose you are on this world is the two W's, to worship and to witness. That's why we're here. It says in John 15, verses 8 and 16, Jesus says that I have appointed you that you should go bear much fruit. He says, God is glorified when you go bear much fruit. You want to know what makes God happy? God is happy when we're going out there and serving and working for him and seeing our co-workers, our friends and family changed in the Lord. That's why we're here. That's why Paul wrote to Timothy, continue progress. Don't become stagnant. Don't become comfortable. Don't become content. It's quite easy just to sit there and say, things are okay. I figured it up, 168 hours in a week 168 hours in a week let's say we have what's to say an hour of, of being in the word here church on Sunday now I'm not trying to pick but if this is the only God you get 167 hours without the Lord being in his word that's kind of scary when you stop and think about it that's why we preach all the time being in the word being in prayer going deeper Why? Because we want what God wants to see you grow in the Lord. Rich and I were met for lunch this week and we were going through some stuff and we talked about how we sometimes just have this burden to see people go deeper in their marriages, in their lives, in their walks. And we want them so bad to grow. problem is they don't want to grow. They don't want to go deeper. What do you do about that? I mean, you can call them, you can encourage them, you can write them, but the truth of the matter is they don't want to. You can't force them. I would love to see everybody go from 30 to 60, then go from 60 to 100, because God would be glorified. What an amazing thing that would be. But so the question comes up is are we willing to do that? Turn if you go to Matthew 25. Matthew 25. Because this is what we have a tendency to do instead, is Matthew 25. But well, in Matthew 25, you have a uh, very famous parable called the Parable of the Talents. And the talent was a monetary amount back during biblical time. But for us, talent represents the gifts and abilities that God gave you. Well, you see here in Matthew chapter 25, it says in this parable, the guy that hands out these talents is a picture of the Lord. Well, in verse 15, he gives one guy five, another guy two, and another one one. Look at verse 15. To each according to his own ability. Now, that's a very important point. To each according to his own ability. Because some of you are stronger in other areas than other people. It does not make you better in the Lord. Does not make you more powerful in the Lord, it's just a fact. That there is a more spiritual responsibility to what God has given you, so therefore he's given you five, or he's given you two, The other ones one. The one that has one isn't a less or weaker of a Christian, it just means that they have less spiritual responsibility in certain areas and certain things. But each one is given to his own ability. See, this is the problem. We're afraid to pray. Lord, where do you want me to serve? Because you're going to call me to go serve there. I can't do that. He's not going to call you to serve someplace if he's not going to give you the strength and wisdom to do it. He's not. God's not going to sit up there in heaven and say, you know what, you'd be horrible in the nursery. I'm putting you in nursery. He doesn't have that sense of humor. He's going to give you the ability and the strength to take care of what he's called you to do. So what happens here in verse 16? The one that has five goes, gets five more. Verse 17, the one that has two goes and gets two more, the one that has one does nothing. This is important. He dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. Verse 19, after a long time the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Well, the one that had five says, Look, I got you five more in verse twenty. Verse twenty one, his Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things, I will make you ruler over many things, and turn to the joy of the Lord. Five, return five. Verse twenty-two. Two, return two. Verse 23, he said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things, so it makes you rule over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. See, now we look at that and say, Well, the one that did five, he did more than the one that had two. But yet the reward is the exact same. Did you catch that? no. They both worked the same. They both had a 100% return. Five got five more. Two got two more. They both put a 100% effort into it. God says, well done, good and faithful servant. Billy Graham is going to preach to hundreds of thousands of people and see tens of thousands of people come to know the Lord. I'm not going to have a ministry like that. He was given the more, the five. He was faithful in that. I'll be faithful in what God has given me. The, the one pastor may have a church with hundreds or thousands of people. He needs to be faithful to that. The other pastor may have a church with 50, 60, 70. He needs to be faithful in that. It's not the amount. It's being faithful in what God has given you. Because look what happens. Verse 24. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown, gathering where you have not sacrificed, me scattered seed. I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. See verse 25? He didn't do anything. Nothing. No return. Now, what's the result of that? Verse 26, but his Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers. and at my coming I receive back my own with interest. Therefore take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have even what he has will be taken away. And take the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. See, nothing, no progress, no continuing. Got the one, just hit it. Five, Five more, 100%. Two, two more, 100%. One, nothing. God says no. And place you on this world, on this earth, to glorify me, to bear fruit, to be a light and a witness for progress, to continue. Those words continue in these things. Make your progress evident to all. Jump back now to First Timothy 4. So let's ask ourselves, look at verses 15 and 16. Is your progress evident to all? Are you growing in your walk? Now, you're not growing to prove yourself to other people and say, See, look at me. But it should be so obvious that people see it. Look at verse 16. Are you continuing? Are you continuing in faith? Or are you stalling? Which one is it? Well, I want to. I want to have evident progress. I want to continue. So what do I need to do? We well, you know what the answer is going to be. We'll jump back to verse 6. Instruction in the Word. See, now this is where it kind of gets old hat, doesn't it? Okay, yeah, I got it. Be in the Word. Yeah, I know. Every Sunday, be in the Word. I got it. Do we really realize what that means? You remember in Luke 24 when uh, the two disciples were walking on the road to Emmaus and Jesus came and uh, was walking with them. And Jesus was, they didn't realize who Christ was after he rose from the dead. And so Jesus, I hate to use this phrase, but I can't think of a better phrase. Jesus was kind of playing dumb with them and like, what's going on? And the two disciples were like, haven't you heard about Jesus and all this stuff that happened? And Jesus is like, no, I haven't heard. So they explain it, telling Jesus what's going on. Well, then what happened is Jesus starts telling them about himself, but they still don't know who he is. And it says the Bible says he started in Moses and it started expounding on the scriptures with the Messiah was. But what happened was these two guys then realize who Christ is, Then Christ leaves, and these two guys are standing on this road, realize they just had one-on-one counseling with Christ himself after he rose from the dead. But they have this great verse, He said, did not our heart burn within us when he expounded to us on the road the scriptures? Did you catch that? Their heart burned when the scriptures were taught to them. I want to make sure everybody knows this. Prayer is vital. Worship is vital. Service is vital. Fellowship is vital. But... It's God's word that grows you in your walk and your relationship with Christ. Romans 10 17 says, Faith comes by hearing and by hearing the word of God. Look at these words again in verse 6 nourished in the words of faith. Good doctrine. It's God's word. What did we just read back in Matthew 13? We're going to read it, we're going to understand it, and then we're going to go bear fruit. The purpose, the reason why you are here today, it's not to get a pat on the back and say, hey, let's just all get together and sing songs and have fun. That's part of fellowship, and we will do that, and we have done that. But the reason we are here today is for you to be instructed, for you then to grow in your knowledge of the Lord, then to leave, and for the other 167 hours of your week is to tell people about the Lord. We've been saying this numerous times in our study through First Timothy. The church gets it backwards. We think the purpose of the church is just for us. Let's just do church things. The purpose of the church is for you guys to grow in your walks and for me to grow in my walk, go deeper in the Lord, to continue, see progress, and then as we leave this building, do something for Christ. That's why we're here. Too often churches just become entities unto themselves. They're this little group. Oh, come here, be fed, be encouraged, then get out of here. Go tell people about the Lord. Can you guys put that quote up there real quick? Someone sent me an article this week, and I love this little uh, quote that was in the middle of it. The focus should not be on those inside the building, but on how those inside the building can impact those outside. I like that. The purpose of the church is to be instructed and to go deeper in your walking relationship with the Lord. So therefore, as you leave this building, you go witness to people. On a typical Sunday, I don't know for sure, if you add in all the kids and all the adults, probably at both services, probably like, 350-some people come out here. It's a lot of people that can impact the world. It's a lot. And so therefore, as you guys go through this, remember that the focus should not be on those inside the building, but on how those inside the building can impact those outside. That's what matters. And so the way you can impact those on the outside is by us taking time on Sunday mornings and instructing you in what God wants you to do. The way I look at Sunday mornings is my job is to instruct you on righteousness, on truth, to give you a time of worship, a time of fellowship, opportunities to serve, and then also to go out. Invite your unsaved friends and loved ones to church. I'm not saying don't. Invite your neighbors. But the main emphasis of what we do is to build you up to send you out. That is what we're doing. Look back in 1 Timothy 4. Look at verse 13. Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. That's what Paul is telling Timothy to do. Read the Word. Encourage the body. Teach the doctrine. That's what we're supposed to do. A lot of churches, and I'm not picking on them, have gotten off the simplicity of that fact. Their services have become entertainment. Their services have become heavy on one thing, but light on the Word. Man, it's the Word. It's God's truth. Hence verse 6, nourish in the Word of faith, the good doctrine. We're supposed to follow that. We're supposed to instruct. We're supposed to learn and to grow in those things. That's what God wants us to do. That is why we are here, to give reading of the Word, to encourage people, and to teach you the doctrine, verse 13. So that way when you leave, you're stronger in your walk with the Lord, that therefore you can go out and impact people. The Bible says God's word doesn't return void. My words return void, your words return void, but God's word does not return void. It's so important for us to know this and to understand that, for the church to understand what we offer, the instruction that we're supposed to be doing. This word doctrine pops up a lot. In fact, in the book of 1 Timothy The word doctrine in my translation is used eight times. In chapter 4 alone, it's used four times. In this lesson alone, it's used three times. Now, doctrine is not usually a word that we usually jump up and down and get excited about. When you think of doctrine, you think of the old man sitting in the library with the big books in front of him studying doctrine. Doctrine is just truth. It's truth. You live in a world. We live in a world. And we talked about this last week. Truth. Or what is truth? Doctrine is truth. This is what we're reading today is truth. That this is what we can base our lives, our marriages, our families, everything we do on is based on this, His Word. So when you have that doctrine down, you understand truth. It says in the book of 1 Peter that as Christians we're supposed to be able to give a defense of the gospel. Think about that. If someone would come up to you today or at work, be whatever, and say... Why do you believe what you believe? And you answer that? Do you have doctrine to answer that? That's why we offer <laughs> discipleship classes. And I, and I believe they're starting back up again in August here, just a couple months. That's why we offer a midweek study. That's why I offer men's study, ladies' studies. That's why we offer uh, um, devotionals back there. That's why we spend so much time in the Word is because we're trying to teach you the truth. So that way you know what you believe, why you believe, and to go out and do it. Why don't we do it more? You ever think about that? Why don't we put that emphasis on the word in evangelism? You know why we don't do it? Verse 7, but reject profane and old wives' fables. Exercise yourself towards godliness. Yeah, see, it's that nasty word that begins with an E. Exercise. Some of us spend all of our lives trying to avoid exercise. Verse 8, for bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable to all things. And then jump down to verse 10. Exercise, but not even exercise. Look, we both labor and suffer reproach. See, this is one of those times where you almost feel like Paul, through the Spirit, needed someone just to tap Paul on the shoulder and say, now listen, man, those are not the words you want to use to get a bigger following. Don't use words like suffer reproach and labor. Just like that verse in John 16, where Jesus says, in this world you will have tribulation. Jesus needed a PR guy to say, no, don't say that. But the truth of the matter is, in this world you will have tribulation. Some of you are suffering tribulation right now. But what's the rest of John 16, 33? But take heart, I've overcome the world. See, if you want to see your workplace, your life, your school, wherever you at, change for the Lord, by golly, you're going to have to exercise spiritually. You're going to have to labor, verse 10, and you're going to suffer reproach. It's a fact. I know we love the idea of we just go into work tomorrow and say, hey, does anybody want to know about Jesus? I'm taking lunch at 11, come ask me. It just doesn't work that way. I have noticed in my life, and I noticed how I came to know the Lord is, I saw verses 15 and 16 in people. I saw progress and I saw somebody continuing the faith and I said, I want what they want. I want what they have. It took time. And so what happens is you want to see your co-workers, your lives, your families, whatever change for the Lord? Well, prepare, prepared to exercise. Be prepared to suffer reproach. Be prepared to labor. But your progress and you continuing your walk in front of them will change them for the Lord. It will. God's word promises that's what happens. Christianity is tough. Ministry is not for the thin-skinned supposed to have a tough skin and a soft heart when you stand up for the lord you will suffer reproach you will be the one at work not laughing at the jokes you'll be the one at work not complaining when everybody else complains you'll be the one at work not cussing when everybody else cusses because you are different and your witness will be different you will suffer reproach it will be labor you will invest your time energy into people and you never know if you're going to see any type of fruit out of it Some of the biggest heartbreaks I've ever had out here at church is when we invested ourselves into people we have labored in their spiritual life, and then they fell away. That's heartbreaking. But you know what? Seeds are planted. God knows their heart. And just exercise daily, being in the Word, being in prayer. That's work. There's no doubt about it. Just like the person that wants to get up and work out in the morning or go out for a run or whatever. They have to get up. They have to do it. It takes effort. But you know what? You want to exercise yourself spiritually? It's going to take effort. It's going to mean either getting up early or staying up late or finding time during the day. It's going to mean shutting the TV off, turning the magazine away, and reading the Bible and praying. But you know what the blessing that comes out of it? Oh, my goodness, look at the blessing that comes out of it. Look at verse 8. Your bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having a promise of the life that is now and that which is to come. Double blessing. Like Two scoops of ice cream. You can't get much better than that. Double blessing. You're blessed now and you're blessed later. That's just the truth. I don't know how else to say that. When I am in the Word, when I am in prayer for the church, for my wife, for my kids, for my family, life just goes better. I'm not saying I don't have problems. I'm not saying there's not car trouble. I'm not saying there's not sickness. I'm not saying there's not bad days. But through the difficult times, life goes better because my perspective is on the Lord. And number two, the end of verse 8, that which is to come, there's all of eternity yet. We haven't even touched on that. The blessings that come for all of eternity, man. There's a new song that they've been starting to do on Wednesday nights. I think it's called Never Gonna Stop. And, and the whole lyrics are about how just in heaven, we're just never going to stop praising God. It's, just, it's never going to stop. Just it keeps going and going. We live in such a world where everything is based on time or eternity. Not. We just get to enjoy God's presence. That's when we'll have comfortable Christianity. Right now on this earth, God says, I want you to work. I want you to be the 30, then to go to the 60, to go to the 100. I don't want you to hide your talents in the ground. I want you to invest them for me. He goes, I want you to continue. I want you to progress. I don't want you just to sit there. I want you to be blessed. Look at verse 14. Do not neglect. Don't we do that a lot? We neglect. I was going through some cupboards at home and it was embarrassing how many Bibles and devotionals I have found and collected over the years. But yet, I'll sit there in the morning saying, i got nothing to read. Oh, and we neglect what we have. We, are, we do. We have this walk with Christ, access to God. Think about that for a second. Access to God. Any moment of the day. How often do we neglect that? We're having a tough time at work, so we sit, we whine for a little, we complain for a little, we pout for a little. God's right there. Why neglect telling him about it? We whine and complain about our circumstances in life. God says, cast your cares on me. I care for you. We neglect that access we have to God. What an amazing thing that is. Let's not neglect the ministry that God has given us. Now remember, and I say this every service, ministry just means to serve. Every member is a minister. All of you have a ministry someplace. Maybe at home and maybe at work. I don't know, maybe at church. You have a ministry someplace where God has called you to serve. You may be sitting there saying, I don't know what it is. But look at verse 15. Meditate on these things. That's a word that we don't use a lot in Christianity is meditate. Because we say meditate, we think of some Far Eastern type thing. Meditate just means chew on it. That's my translation. I don't know if that's what it really says in the Greek. I say it means chew on it. You know, this idea of just chew on it. God, what do you want me to do? We just covered prayer a few weeks ago. Too often, Lord, what do you want me to do in life? Already, thanks, bye, and we leave. Meditate on it. Lord, what do you want me to do? Sit there and think about it. God, what have you called me to do? Lord, where, where is my ministry? Chew on those things. And this in this McDonald's fast food society we want everything quick. Boy, meditating is not quick. That's sitting there in prayer and reflection on the Lord, praying and searching and seeking, saying, God, what have you called me to do? But Paul tells Timothy, do it. Because as you do that, give yourself entirely. Simple question. Have you given yourself entirely over to the Lord? I mean everything. Because until you give yourself entirely over to Him, you're holding back. How many of you are stalled in your walk with the Lord? You're at the 30-fold return. Once again, things are comfortable. It's it's okay. It's good. I mean, yeah, but man, 60-fold. I'm happy at 30. I used to try to get everybody past 30. I can't do anything. I'm working on my own self, trying to go from 30 to 60 to 100. But you know what? It's progress. It's continuing. It's giving ourselves entirely over to to them. They're supposed to be an example. Look at verse 12. But no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word and conduct and love and spirit and faith and integrity. You know, for parents, for you that have kids in CBC, you know that's the key verse for CBC that we do back there on Wednesday nights is to train up these kids. No matter how old you are, you can be used by God. No matter how old you are. I, I used to love this passage. I grew up, I, I took CBC at the church I used to go to. Richard and Betsy were the ones that taught me. And then when I first started serving on here, I took over on Wednesday nights. I was 20. And when I started being the pastor out here, I was 22. I clung to that verse. Let no one despise your youth. And I, and I thought, okay, Lord, that verse is for me. Then I read a commentary one time that most people think that Timothy was like 40 when Paul wrote that to him. So I still, I'm not even there yet, man. So point, though, is no matter where you're at, you can be an example. Look at that word, example. Once again, simple question. Are you an example to others? Paul wrote, imitate me as I imitate Christ Jesus. What do we say? Do what I say, not what I do. Paul said, imitate me. Can you say... To your spouse, to your kids, to your co-workers, to your, whoever you go to school with your friends, my progress is evident to you. I'm continuing in the faith. I am an example of what is supposed to be as a Christian. I'm a light and a witness, bearing fruit for the Lord. Why? Because I've been instructed in the truth. And as I've been instructed in the truth, I am now going out to spread the truth of Christ Jesus. We don't need more comfortable, content, stagnant Christians. We need people on fire for the Lord that's willing to go out there and say, Lord, I want to see change in my life change in other people's lives too. That's why we're finishing with communion. You know, last week we uh, had a time of prayer, and altar call at the end, and I thought about doing that again this Sunday. And I thought, you know, we'll definitely pray for you, no doubt about that, but communion is the best thing here. It's for you to privately, quietly, go to the Lord on your own and say, these are the things I need to change. These are the things I want to change. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, It talks about this. It talks about how in 1 Corinthians 11, our attitude towards communion says, Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a man examine himself and let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. God says, I want you to take a look at yourself before you partake of communion. Because I want you to examine yourself and say, are there areas in your life that need to be changed? This is a time of quiet confession for you to go to the Lord and say, these are the areas that need to be changed. Maybe you heard a message like this today and you're like, you know what, that's me. I'm stagnant. God light a fire under me. Time to go to him. Maybe you've heard a message like this today, and you're like, man, I am so off track. It's not that I'm stagnant. I'm not even on the right track. Lord, get me back on to where I need to be. Maybe you heard the message today, and this is the first time it ever clicked. There's a heaven. There's a hell. All of eternity, you're going to either be in heaven or hell. And it's only through Christ, Jesus Christ, who became a man to pay your debt, pay your bill of sin that you couldn't pay so therefore he bridged the gap to get us to heaven to have access to God to all of eternity and maybe that's what you heard is I am a sinner that sin needs to be taken care of I have a debt that needs to be paid that's why Christ died on the cross for our sins whatever place you're at now's the time to come to the Lord and say these are the areas that need to change let's go to him quietly let's confess Lord as we come to you now we think of this passage we examine ourselves I think of that verse where it said um Search me and try me, Lord. See if there's any iniquity in me. Lord, we all have areas we need to work on. Lord, we all have areas that we've become lazy in. Maybe we're lazy as the leaders of our house. Maybe we're lazy as just witnesses at work. Maybe we're just lazy privately, Lord. Lord, maybe there's just outright sin. We come to you with a heavy heart, a heart of conviction to have these areas fixed and cleaned in you. Not condemnation, Lord. Your word says you do not condemn us, but you do convict us. Lord, help us to become right and pure in you. We give you over those areas of sin. We give you those areas of struggle. We pray in the name of Jesus that you help us. quietly go, Lord. Lord, it's so easy on moments like this to have this long list of failures. Lord, your grace covers everything. Your love and mercy for us at all. We are sinners. We are wrong. Lord, you forgive us and love us. Thank you for that, Lord, and just pray that we go forward in you in our walks and relationships. Lord, help us our progress to be evident. Amen. Kids are going to be coming in.